Reading from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 2. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And also verses 11 to 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pots that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your highest servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father t said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of man was, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Amelia. Um, I'm going to introduce Andrew. Some of you may not know that Andrew is a member of our leadership team, one of our elders, and um, uh, is going to bring the word for us today, second part of a series we're in called The Better Way. So over to you, Andrew. Would you like me to pray for you? 
Yes, please. Okay, great. Father, we thank you for Andrew, our brother, and what you've put on his heart to bring to us today um, from your uh, written word. And we pray it would be a, a living and, and um, uh, impactful word into uh, speak, that speaks to our hearts this morning, that speaks to our minds, speaks to our soul. Uh, we, we pray that you would open our hearts, Lord, to receive what your spirit would want to say to us, um, that we may become more like Jesus um, as we step into the way that Jesus has laid out for us. Uh, so we pray, uh, fill Andrew with your spirit, Lord God, and lead him by your spirit and, and us too, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Morning, church. Yeah, I think you can hear me well. Good. Such a beautiful word, this passage in Luke. Um, I was almost reluctant to choose it because it's so often visited, but it seems so fitting for the topic of reconciliation. So Reconciliation Week has just finished. Um, this week in which we're encouraged to find ways for Aboriginal Australians and non-Aboriginal Australians to be reconciled to each other. Um, ways to come, come to places of understanding and take steps to bring healing. Reconciliation Week started as a week of prayer for reconciliation in 1993. I'm not going to speak specifically to reconciliation between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal Australians, but to the broader topic of reconciliation between God and us and between ourselves and any who we are estranged from. I'd encourage you to read and listen to resources about Reconciliation Week. Um, two sources which I would recommend are Tear Fund Australia and an organisation called Common Grace. They both produce some really uh, faith-based uh, Christian perspective resources on how we can look at this topic of reconciliation in that specific context. There are many places where reconciliation is required other than just between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal Australians. There's so much conflict and estrangement between people. We're reminded daily of the high-profile conflicts such as those in Ukraine and recently in Sudan. A less widely reported example is South Sudan. We support compassionate ministry into South Sudan. And uh, in the report we received from that area recently, one of the key themes was that there's ongoing issues there because of civil conflict within South Sudan, that young country. In another context, I think we'll all be aware of the culture wars in our own society. The en enmity between people of different opinions is growing stronger, apparently, every day. And we're seeing that polarisation in politics as well. And in personal lives. In the US, 10% of mothers are estranged from at least one child. In Britain, one in five families are affected by estrangement. And in Australia, one in 12 families. And there are other statistics. I expect many of us know of or have experienced estrangement in families or between friends. Underlying all this is the one great estrangement between each of us and God. As illustrated in this parable, this estrangement is the result of our choosing our own way, our desires over relationship with the Father. Thankfully, God is at work. In Romans, Paul writes, 
God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we now have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. God is that father figure who's running down the dusty road, eager to embrace the Son, before he'd even spoken any of his words of repentance. This is the heart of our God. If you feel estranged from God, you don't have to stay in that place. Reconciliation with God is always available and it only requires a turning to God on your part. The oldest son in this parable is a warning to us. The parable left us left the parable of the lost son left us hanging it left the question there what did the older son choose to do in the end this was a challenge to the scribes and pharisees who'd criticized jesus for the company he kept it was a challenge as to what choice they would make as god brings whoever he can back into his kingdom into relationship with him it was also an invitation for them to be reconciled and join the party. The older son had the possibility of reconciling with his brother and joining in the celebration that this brother who was lost has now found. Let's be careful that we don't judge those who God chooses to choose to include in his kingdom. It's easy for us to look at other times and cultures, such as the time with Jesus, with the Pharisees, uh, Sadducees and scribes, who are often featured in the Gospels as being opponents to Jesus. And often their judgment, their criticism is about who Jesus hung with. Um, it's harder to find the examples that apply to us. And I can't bring specific examples, but I think it's a challenge that we should always be vigilant to this that we are open to whoever God is going to bring into, back into relationship with himself, regardless of their status and who they are to us. Jesus is a friend of sinners. When we look at the life of Jesus and the objections of the scribes and Pharisees in this passage, it is the people who fail the social acceptance test that were drawn to Jesus, and he was frequently criticised for hanging out with these people. Why were these the people that he ended up hanging out with? The answer is found in another place where this happened, this criticism occurred. In Mark, uh, that's recorded, when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, is not the healthy who need a doctor? but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now I would suggest that everyone is a sinner. This is evident in the life of Paul. Although he was a consummate Pharisee, he did all the right things. He had all the right credentials, and he records these in, in a couple of his letters. 
but he needed to have a dramatic experience of repentance. And that's recorded in the Damascus Road experience on Acts, and it's one that Paul used as his testimony many times. And he also expresses that in some of his letters. So why did Jesus favour hanging out with the shameful people? Was it because he thought that the religious leaders did not need redemption? I don't think so. On many occasions he had strong words of warning for them, both directly and in his parables. So perhaps it was because the sinners and the tax collectors knew that they needed reconciliation. They were aware of their unworthiness and were open to hear the good news of the kingdom. They were receptive. Perhaps while we're looking for people of peace, we should look among those who fail the goodness criteria more than among those who pass it. And I'm feeling a little uncomfortable at saying this because the people I find easiest to spend time with, you people and others like you, pass the goodness test. It's not to say we don't witness to everyone, but if we are, followed to Je- if we are to follow Jesus, we may need to follow him among those people who he hung out with. We get to be ambassadors for Jesus. We get to play a part in this action that God is taking for reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians, there's another great passage on reconciliation. It reads, So then if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What is old has passed away. Look, what is new has come. And all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's trespasses against them. And he has given us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making his plea through us. We plead with you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. As ambassadors, we get to live the gospel. We get to live the kingdom. We have some models for that in the Beatitudes and uh, recorded in one or two of the Gospels. And this provides a model of one of the models of how we are to live. We also have the Paul's record of the fruit of the Spirit. This example of what we can expect to show in our lives as we let the Holy Spirit work in us. And that's one of the keys to know that we don't do this out of a dogged obligation and out of a hard work on our part. It may be hard at times, but we have the Holy Spirit to inspire and lead us in that. As ambassadors, we get to speak the gospel. We get to speak our testimony. Paul's writing to Timothy, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Our recent uh, series on the ripple effect gave us some good tools for how we can give testimony to Jesus, particularly his testimony to his effect in our life. 
we were encouraged to develop a 15-second testimony. And I really liked that because it just gave me the idea that there's a tool that I could prepare ahead of time that I could use to help people understand who Jesus was in my life, a simple way to make me feel more confident about testimony. Here is one of my 15-second-ish testimonies, and it involves reconciliation. There was a time when I was controlling and had to have things my way. God showed me the cost of being that way. I came to see that if I carried on that way, I risked losing someone very precious to me. I had to repent, and God began to teach me how to let go and accept my not being in control. I still have the blessing of having that person in my life. So in summary, God is reconciling us, everyone else, and all of his creation back to himself. We get to be part of this. We get to be ambassadors for his work of reconciliation. This passage challenges us to guard our heart against judging who gets to be included in the kingdom. We get to join in the party of reconciled sinners and we get to be his ambassadors. So I encourage you, be an ambassador for God's reconciliation of all people he can reach. Thank you. Just reflect on what Andrew shared with us this morning, the way of Jesus that we're invited into to accept reconciliation with God, uh, to help others in reconciliation with God, and then as an overflow of what God's done in our life to reconcile with others and encourage that where we can. Let's just reflect on that for a minute.